Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. From Minneapolis, this is the Small Scale Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Tom Dommers. Since we're live streaming on YouTube, I would like to welcome all of our listeners and viewers there, especially our insiders from the Small Scale Life Facebook group. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to the show. This is Season 2, Episode 18 of the Small Scale Life, and I'm coming back to a great interview I did with Michael Jordan from a bee-friendly company in Wyoming. Michael was kind enough to answer our beekeeping questions from the Small Scale Life audience and followers. Who is Michael Jordan? Michael is a husband, father, teacher, entrepreneur. He is an MVP of beekeeping and award-winning mead maker. Find out more about Michael Jordan and how he got into mead and beekeeping in Small Scale Life Season 2, Episode 16. In case you're new to Small Scale Life, we are a blog and podcast dedicated to intentional living through learning, doing, and growing. We're focused on gardening, healthy living, and having adventures along the way. Now, before we begin our podcast and and our question and answers with Michael Jordan, let's talk about our sponsors. This episode of Small Scale Life is brought to you by the Small Scale Life Facebook group. If you want to join in the conversation about the podcast, gardening, healthy living, and having adventures, please join us in the Small Scale Life Facebook group. Share your stories, questions, and ideas with other followers of the Small Scale Life. Join us today. All right. With, without further ado, let's talk with Michael Jordan and have him answer our questions about beekeeping. So I, I thought I hit some of your questions that your guys sent Abs- over. Absolutely. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about basic retirement uh, requirements and money and space for starting the small bee operation. We already answered that question. I think you did a really nice job talking about, you know, the what the costs involved and where you should put it. So I think I think that first one might be done, don't you? Well, yeah, down here at the bottom of it, it says, uh, so it's from Jay in Virginia. Yep. This is the basic requirements in terms for money, space, starting small bee operation. The small bee operation is defined as enough to serve as the purpose of your homestead. Honey may be something to sell, pollination to encourage growth of vegetables and flowers. Now, just remember that it, every, everything you said is easy, right? You're looking at for each beehive, you're looking at a minimum of three to $600 investment, to time, depending on the type of beekeeping operation you go for. Right. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're going top bar and you're making your own equipment yourself, the operation cost is lower. Sure. If you're buying a uh, Bonjana beehives that have the solar panel on them to operate the fans on the side to force air through. So more bees are out in the field working unless they're in the hive working fanning off the honey, you're going to spend more money. So there, I mean, there's a broad span there from building your own to buying some techno generation, easy flow hive thing. So money can be anywhere from what you make it at, but the maximum I'd ever spend on a beehive would be no more than $500. And hopefully it comes with honey supers and the bees and everything in it. You know, I sell mine for 700, but I'm, uh, they come with some different things and some storage spaces. (laughs) you know, to put guns in them and, you know, the heating boxes. I mean, they come with some different stuff. They're a little more expensive, sure. but they're for, they're for people that are going to do some stuff that I'm, that I'm, I'm teaching them to do. So absolutely. when it comes to growth of vegetables and flowers for pollination, your whole block's going to get it. Make sure your bees are in a higher level elevation than everything on your property. Oh, if you're going to do it for a homestead. That way, everywhere you walk, there's no bees. 
because they're not going to be on the ground. They're going to be in the air. When they come sure. in to the beehive, they'll be in the air. Put it on the far back end of your property so when the bees come out, they can overlook your gardens and stuff and then go to them. Huh. Never put the bees in the garden. You'll never get pollination. Huh. So, yeah, Jay, uh, bees would be good. Small operation, $500 investment, $2,000 for three beehives and enough education to make you about 150 pounds of honey a year. That's great. That's So really then we great. have Nick in Wisconsin. Nikki, yep. Our good friend Nikki. Nikki. Yep. She's living up in a small small house up in Wisconsin. Uh, do, you recommend, uh, do you recommend for new beekeepers to have a mentor for the first year? I think that your first year should be a dry run. Okay. I think you should join an organization. I think you should talk to see people. And fill out what kind of mentors for you. I may not be the mentor for you. Mm. Right? Kind of see what other people are using. Join an organization. And what I would do is I would go through and I would, uh, like I said, build that first part of your book. Take that permit. Eat those things. See if bees are for you. Sure. Right? And if you want to get bees then from there, then you're joining your organizations. And now, and then you can learn about setup and then you're doing like a dry run. That way you're actually working with a beekeeper by that time and maybe have found your mentor by then and then possibly gotten stung by somebody that's going to give you your bees. Right. Kind of like the falconry mentorship. Work with a beekeeper for a while, get some of their bees because you're used to working with their bees and then they're your bees. That's kind of a falconry mentorship. That's kind of stuff you should work with with bees. So mentorship first year, uh, I think it's basically trying to get your budget set down, start that first part of your book and then Get into a club, see what's going to make you get stung. If it's something you want to do, you might get out there, get stung a couple times and throw a hat in and say, screw this. I mean, it happens. It really does. Most beekeepers after the first time, we only have a 30% turnout hmm. after first year beekeeping that ever come back Wow, to come back because it's just too hard, too expensive. And I got stung and I didn't want to. So sure. Things to think about. Yeah, and I know she's working with a beekeeper up in, uh, up in northwestern Wisconsin. So I think she's getting a good, real good. Um, first-hand education there. So, yeah, yeah, get in there, get stung, right? Work in a while. Once you once you get the feeling of it, as soon as his hives start to swarm, there's your free bees. You already know how to collect them. You already know how to work with them, right? You'll just move right in. You'll just get right into the groove of being that beekeeper you want to be. Very cool. Uh, Danielle in Minnesota, what's your preferred bear exclusion fencing system? Do you have a brand and volts recommendation? We have a lot of bear wow. up in Minnesota and Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, so uh, bear deterrence and fencing. So there's a couple ways to do bear deterrent and fencing. <laughs> uh, first one's the most obvious, and that's uh, what we call strain and elevate. And uh, you should uh, build your beehives in a catwalk system. Oh, If you have bees and you can put your beehives in the tree, Clubhouse beehives are the best. Bees' natural environment is 40 to 80 feet in the air from canopies. Bees down on the ground is where we put them because as beekeepers, we want to work the bees. It's not necessarily good for the bees, but it's good for the beekeeper. So when working with bears, the best uh, thing to get is out of the bear's reach. Uh, Getting something that's up in the air that's hard for uh, the bears to really climb without getting a ladder. A lot of people that are working with bees and bears are putting telephone poles or big poles in the ground and then building a catwalk system up in the air. Huh. That way they can bring a ladder, yeah. set the ladder up, walk up to the platform, work the bees in the air, eliminating the bear problem completely. Also making it so any traffic areas such as 
if you have a national park where we work with some people doing some bees in the national park area, the people are going through the park, but you want to have the bees in the park for foliage and pollination. Bears do come through the park. It's part of Yellowstone. Sure. How do we attend to that? We put those up in the air as well. People can still walk through the park. The bees aren't down in the ground and in the traffic areas where the people are, but they're high enough where the bees are not in the bear's hand reach either. So platform elevation is one way to get the bees off your, or the bears off your bees. Now, when you're talking about fencing, you need to do what we call the three, two method. You need to have two rails of fencing. You should put your fencing approximately 15 feet away from your bees, giving you enough room to work your bees without you getting zapped either. Sure. The first rail that's 15 feet away should have three rails on it. The first one from the bottom should be roughly about a foot from the bottom. So anything that's kind of walking on the ground, it kind of deters really good. Then the middle, and then roughly one at about five foot in the air or four foot in the air. You want to keep anything between two and four foot where the bears, where they come to come in, will hit their shoulders and face. Oh, yeah. The reason we want to do two rails is one foot or three foot away from that fencing I just told you, you're going to do a two rail electrical fence, one at the four foot and then one at two foot. That way, when the bears go underneath it, it's kind of scratching on their back to where they're walking into the next fence, wrapping them and causing great pain. Hmm. So I'm using 7,000 volts. I'm keeping my fence away from the beehive by about 15 feet with a three-foot fence out in front of it. Both of them are electric, both of them at 7,000, three rails in the back, two rails in the front. It makes, and then I wrap on the back rail that has the three. I wrap bacon on the top of the electric fence. What happens is it gets the bears to stand up and then they want to lean on that first fence to try to grab that bacon. They might want to push through it to try to get to the bacon, but the jaw grabbing the bacon on the second wire fence really kind of puts them out of their misery for a little bit. They don't want to come back. So the bacon uh, the 15 foot, 7,000 volts, get yourself up in about three to four foot. Most black bears, when they walk, are going to hit them about underneath the jawline. So that's oh, a good way wow. to keep the bears away. So elevate your beehives, 7,000 volts, get it away from the beehives far enough where you can work and manage them. Always remember that try to put a chain link fence right behind it a little bit or some sort of other like chicken wire fence. That way, anything that wants to kind of get underneath it, such as skunks, raccoons, foxes, anything else, has a deterrent as well. And it also gives a little bit more for the bears to lean on to shock the crap out of them. So <laughs> you can put that behind it. They think that they're just getting into that fence. And they just keep pushing and getting the crap nailed out of them. So that works out pretty good. Huh. Huh. That's really interesting That's about, interesting the, about uh, the, uh, the elevated the one. The, uh, the, the catwalk uh, the system. Cat That's, cool. That's cool. Oh, to get them up out of the area. Yeah. Beekeepers used to use logs. And they would take a log, cut it in half, hollow it out, put the bees in it, and then put the log back together. So the log would be about three to four foot long, hollowed out. And then you just tie ropes around it, throw it over a tree limb, and then you pull it up in the air. Uh-huh. So the bees would be naturally in the air in a natural log, doing natural things just like they had been forever. And then when you wanted it, you just lowered down the log, pulled the log in half, and stripped out what you wanted. Hmm. Most of the time you killed the queen and some of the bees, but you know, you're talking, this was done, you know, 
before Christ, this type of beekeeping I'm telling you about. So all the way up until about uh, 1080, that type of beekeeping and skeeps. That's when we started developing and getting into woven skeeping Hmm. all the way until the 1800s. And then the 1800s, we got into box beekeeping, developing Lithuania, doing uh, carvings and stuff. So Sure. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. A little history. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love it. Uh, from Nikki in Wisconsin again, I'm working in a school, uh, in the school garden with elementary age kids. Can you give me some resources for bee activities, worksheets, or honey cooking that I can teach the kids? I took a beekeeping class at the U of M, University of Minnesota. I'm working with a bee mentor. Yeah, she did get a mentor uh, that has about 12 hives up in northern Wisconsin. I love listening to MJ, and he inspires me to be kind. So she really, she is a fan of Jack Spurkos too, so she's all over that uh, right on yeah so when it comes to kids at school right you can get here on facebook and find ab friendly company on facebook and every week we put up a worksheet for kids oh that's cool and the worksheets come from all over some of them are from the national honey board that's the ones we're using right now sometimes we throw in things from the national bee council and the honey bee consortium we also use some of the programs and stuff that we've written up. So you can get on Facebook, AB Friendly Company. We put a lot of things up there, uh, anything. And they, they have puzzles from word finders, crossword puzzles to uh, anatomy, you know, where you got to write down where the eyes are, antennae, stingers. So it has a lot of information and it. it's, it's pretty good. Uh, another one is some stuff I just mentioned. You can look up the Honeyboard Consortium. Cool. Honeybee Consortium. They do a lot of stuff and reach out, outreach stuff. That you can kind of the National Honey Board, they have a lot of stuff, and the National Honey Board also has stuff about cooking, hmm. right? So you can get some recipes and stuff from the National Honey Board for cooking. Um, like I said, uh, when it comes to education for kids, best thing for kids is to find somebody that has a, a bee yard, sure, and ask them if they're a bee friendly apiary. If they ask, well, we're an apiary, you know, kids come all the time, are we? You know, kid friendly. You go, yeah. <laughs> Do you ever go out and the night uh, at night before the kids come and close a beehive, like move a beehive to a location and put up a mosquito screen tent over the beehive? And I say, why would you do that? And you say, that's so you can work the bees and all the kids can be on the outside. We don't need bee suits. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> right? That's something that we teach is that we set up a beehive out in the middle of a uh, park. We put a mosquito tent over the beehive that night. We open it up. And then when we come, we can go in through the mosquito tent, open up the beehive, work all the bees. The bees fly all over inside the tent, but they never get out. And that way the kids can kind of walk around the tent. They can see how many bees are in there. You can show queens. You can show broods. You can get massive interaction without a lot of money investment for suits. The reason we developed this way to get outside is that – our lawyer one time, we had an observation hive that we took to school. Observation hives are very cool until they're broken. Uh-oh. And then one allergic reaction happens, and then your whole company's down the sewer, and you're in jail. Sure. Right? So, you know, there are some allegations. When it comes to teaching kids, and you want kids for bee activities and stuff, uh, you should look up some other pollinators as well. Mm. You should look up local extension agencies to your ag department. Yep as well as through kids and ag in school. I'm sure your school has agricultural developments, might have farm to plate. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different FFA. 
And you can probably find somebody that might have outreach and you can go to their bee yard and look. Or in some of those things through extension agencies can also teach you about migratory bees or local bees or naturalized bees in your area of Minnesota, bumblebees, which natural ones, what kind do you have? Leafcutter bees, masonry bees, masonry hives, leafcutter. You can go on a vast ring and just from your extension agency and learn more than just honeybees and cooking honey. So I would look at the Honey Board Association, look at the AB Friendly Company site, look at your local ag extension agency, and maybe even weed and pest, because they might be able to bring out some stuff about bees and like what pesticides do not kill bees? What are they using for spraying? How do they notify beekeepers when they're spraying? And maybe you teach the kid on a whole other aspect of not only getting them maybe into pest management or maybe even getting them into wildlife management, maybe even to game and fish. You're kind of expanding on a whole different area sure. by reaching out to those methods. So I would say uh, just check out uh, some agro activities, Honey Board Association, and then reach out to your extension agency and then maybe even some of your science departments at, at your local universities and see if they have a spokesperson or activities locally like we do at the University of Wyoming where we have the National Bee College here. Yeah, the uh, the extension service has a great uh, facility up in Spooner, Wisconsin, where she lives. So uh, I would go check those guys out, Nikki. So um, yeah, for sure. Yep. All right, from John, my good friend John in Wisconsin. What is your advice for helping a spouse and a child overcome their fear of bees? I'd love to start, but can't do their due to their fee uh, fear. So uh, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to load them up and you're going to take them to the butterfly pavilion. Huh? Right. And you're going to let them see all the beautiful, wonderful butterflies. And you're going to sit down and you're going to ask the person that they're talking about. And you say, what is the pollination factor of these butterflies? And they'll say, what do you mean? So like if I had what's between bats and bees and butterflies, what's their pollination? Well, now you're all comfortable and you're watching about this. And he talks about how bees are the largest pollinator. Then what you want to do is now that they're into pollination and how big it is, and they got to go see butterflies. You want to take out, you want to show them the bee movie. The bee uh, movie. Uh, yeah, I, you know, with Adam Sandler. Or Adam Sandler, it's uh, the guy, Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Like okay. the bee movie. You sit down and you see how vast and important bees are. And it really, and it, you know, kids that are under the age of 13 and younger really is so a stimulate to that movie. Right, because at school they're really pushing eco-friendly crap, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they're really into the bees. That, you know, no pollination, no flowers, no food. All oh, the bees, you know, and the bees, you know, and the bees, right? Yes. And then what you want to do is you want to go to a place that has bees. And you just want to talk to somebody that's there and you say, is it all right that we can suit up and look at the bees? Then you then, then you kind of open their mind that, you know, Bees work with butterflies, which are beautiful, right? So they yep. fly. They're great. You've got them introduced into a movie that's kid-friendly, and it's more about pollination and the great products that they make. And then you take them to a location that has bees, and you let them all soup up, and you let them fill the gear. Because remember, it's not yours. Right. You're not taking this stuff home. You can right. tell them, we're not taking any of this stuff home. We're going to go, and this guy's going to just show us. I just want you to see this. And the guy said, we can taste honey right out of the hot. Yes. Now you go and you see it, you let them see it, and they get to listen. You know, the guy's smoking them, he's talking about the queen, he shows the queen. Well, now it's too late, right? Because then you can just look <laughs> at them and say, well, you've already seen bees. Yeah. You've already worked them. You saw what it takes. You know what it takes to suit up. You already know how to run a smoker. 
Yep. You saw what it was to, to work them. You saw how what it was like. You know, it's you you were you were already there. We, we were beekeepers that day. We were beekeepers. You know that they need pollination. They work mm-hmm. with butterflies. I mean, this is great, right? And then eventually, you know, you can go to a bee meeting. If there's any type of programs that are available at school, ag departments and stuff that talk about bees, I mean, any type of bees, show up, show support for them, right? And then it's not that they're going to overcome their thing of fear because I'm scared of bees. My son is deathly allergic to bees Ah. and we're beekeepers. He was just told that he can no longer be the beekeeper's apprentice, Oh, right? That he's going to be sales management, get into fuel. Okay. He's already making his rotation, right, from helping me do bees. He got stung the last time, and it's uh, he's one of the highest-ranked ones for bees oh. that the guy has seen in our state. Wow, really? So he's got 30 minutes to get to an emergency room Oof. before he's before he has problems where he can't come out of it. So it's deadly. So don't lose the fear of the bees, right? They're, it, being a beekeeper is one of the most deadly things, next to probably lion tamer. Yeah, I mean, I you know, and I think I think more people die from bee stings than lion tamers die, hmm. just to let you know. So I mean, it, it's it is a job, and it is dangerous. You're working with a noxious insect that anytime could could swarm on you, and a whole bunch of them could kill you, right? Yeah. Or it could be a a very holistic and man world experience to you of of getting closer to Mother Earth and your pagan brotherhood, right? I mean. <laughs> It could be that way. I would just move into it, trying to introduce different things. B-movie. Yeah. Right? Right. Go to a B-yard. Right? Go to a butterfly pavilion. Have them talk about different types of bees. See different types of bees. See that there's many things in this world that happen. You know, heck, you might change all your stuff, John, from being, you know, into bees to being one of the few guys that's getting into uh, silkworm farming. Hmm. Right. I mean, they're starting to learn how to make spider webs and silk woven together for flak jackets for the military. Really? So, I mean, yeah. Speaking of military real quick, uh, uh, we, we've worked with a guy in Montana who trains bees to find landmines. What? Really? They put, yeah. They put Simtex explosive in the beehives. The bees get used to the uh, smell and pheromone of it. Huh. So they put the beehives where the fields are in like Vietnam and Indonesia the bees go out because the smell's similar. They can land on the landmines. There's not enough weight for the bees to blow it up, but it's enough cluster that they're smelling something that's uh, similar to what they're used to, and that's where you dig for the landmines. So bees can be trained. So it, there's another thing right there, John. Show that bees are just not pollinators, right? They're used for finding weapons of mass destruction. They're using them at the Denver airport for sarin gas and drugs. Uh, they're wow. training the to to pull strings. Yeah, I saw that video. Doors. Yeah, I yeah, playing that. soccer, right? Bees. I mean, I, I train bees to go to different types of little hoops with sugar. We call oh. it the circus. I mean, show many <laughs> different things with bees. Uh, I got things of blue bees, blue mason green bees. I mean, I I've got some pretty colored bees that you can show different kinds of things. Wow, working in different aspects. Just be cool. Don't push the issue. Uh, don't lose the fear, but uh, gain more respect. I think if you want bees, you might end up having them. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, those are good tips because uh, 
My wife and I were just talking about that. She's like, oh, are you sure you want bees? And <laughs> that, we'll work on that a little bit. So, <laughs> all right. Our next question comes from the Captain Lumber Squatch himself, Greg Burns in Ohio. What's MJ's favorite method for making splits? <laughs> uh, my favorite method is... Banana split? <laughs> the banana split, yeah. That's my favorite. The chocolate, butterscotch, strawberry, pineapple sauce. That's my favorite split. Uh, my favorite way of making splits is I don't care. And that's what I call it. I, it's, it's I don't care. Right? And it seems to be working pretty good. And what it is is I'm using a queen excluder. And I go to a hive and I do what we call a swarm prevention splitting. Mm. Uh, there's many types of splits you can do from nooks to what, 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 you know, whatever you're doing, but I do a swarm prevention splitting. And what I'm doing is, uh, when the hive's extremely full, if they're not making a queen, I force a queen. Oh, and I force them to make queens by using a Miller method. Once Queens, uh, cups start to appear, I cut those queen cups out and I graft them onto brood that's capped. And I move those up into nook boxes that have no bottoms. So I can usually put two nooks on top of a hive. The two nooks are basically the brood and the queens that I made from that hive. And then I put those on a queen ex- uh, above a queen excluder and put my lids on them until it's almost time for everything to kind of hatching. You got when it comes to queening, you got to really watch your times. It's like uh, calving and stuff, right? This sure. is when she conceive this is when i'm about ready to start pulling i know i should have some pro- you know so you want to start looking so what happens is when i make the queens and i and i graft those on or I use a miller method of using brooding i just move the brood into nooks above the original hmm. and what happens is the bees the nurse bees have to split they want to go up into the stuff i just made because they want to uh-huh. keep the brood warm right they want to keep an eye on the brood and the bottom some of them stay because of the stuff that's going on. And the reason I call it I don't care method is because if the queen, for some reason, is in the bottom, gets into one of the nook boxes for me pulling stuff, it doesn't matter. They're going to make a queen in the bottom because of the larva down there. They're going to already make queen cups from it because the queen's gone from the brooding down there. And the ones that are up on top that hatch – Nothing's going to happen to the queens that hatch in the nook boxes because those are separated by queen excluders. Hmm. And if the queen is in one of them that hatches, they're just going to have a short tussle and the bees are either going to kill the new queen or the other queen's going to die because she's not as strong as the new one. Uh, so it's hmm. a really I don't care method. I'm, I'm just pulling out brood and putting queens in them and having the hive rear those nooks for me. And then when it's kind, when it's coming time to those queens to hatch, I just lift a nook box and put a bottom on it and a top, close the door on the nook and move it. Hmm. And now they're hmm. basically in a nook with a feeder. The queen hatches, the brood's hatching, there's nurse bees in there. I open the door seven days later, she goes out, she gets bred, she comes back, and now we have a functioning nook with brood that's already getting uh, hatching out bees that are already starting that went from nursing to wanting to go forage and a mating queen that wants to get in there and start working in the cleaned out brood frame. So it's a, it's a, it's almost like a walk away method. Yeah. But if I'm, you know, if I don't have queen cells that if I open up a hive and there's no queen cells to start making splits, I go right in to start controlling the swarming and make queens 
putting nook boxes above uh, queen excluders, letting the hives manage themselves, and before hatching, separate and just have nook splits. I usually get two nooks to three nooks from a hive. Cool. Doing it this way without losing them and still have queens functioning in the hive and new queens from the same genetic lines that I have. Mm. Uh, I have a couple different hive yards. One has uh, a, a, a brown, dark bee, and it's a, they're a micronized bee. They're at a five or 4.9 to 5.0. Okay. Instead of the 4.7, four, or instead of the 5.7, 5.9, these are 4.9 to 5. Hmm. They're not the smallest bee, but I've got them down to where there's no trach in them. Ah, okay. Uh, so tracheal mite can't get to them. They're hatching faster, so varroa mite doesn't have time to brood and hatch with them. Uh, they're a Russian cross with a Minnesota hygienic, and then they've been integrated and bred with Africanized drones and uh, drones from German browns. Hmm. So I've got a couple different lines in them. They're seven-year-old bees. They winterize good. They're hairier. They, they have like a, uh, a, a more longer, thicker, hairier coat on them. Cool. And they seem to be doing really well there at one bee yard. And then I have a section that are just straight Russian bees. Hmm. They're extremely aggressive. Oh. <laughs> Winterize great. But they're a more aggressive bee. Sure. And then I've just got into breeding these new line of bees that Greg Burns got to see that were a, an orange bee. Oh. And they're a Minnesota hygienic crossed with a, an Italian. Hmm. And it's a three-year bee. A guy's been working in Colorado making some bees for it and he got to see that that's why he's asking about the splits because he's asking how i did these and yep i said man i'm just pulling uh pulling out frames with nurse bees on them and putting queens in them and i'm making my own queens right there and i just put them right in there and split them right down it's it's simple easy walk away i just make sure they're fed i'm big on feeding my bees sure i'm not feeding my bees always corn sugar i feed them but i'm big on feeding my bees because uh when i went honey flow I'm going to take them to an area where I want a specific honey flow to make a specific meat or a specific product to sell. Other than that, I'm co-oping for great natural honey in my area. So people in my area that buy it are getting all the pollens and stuff to fight their allergies. So I'm giving superior, you know, my whole thing's superior product. Yeah. That's so great. when I'm breeding my bees, I'm looking for a specific line for my area. And it's, it's basically not necessary to sell, but, because I'm helping Danielle start a, a thing. I'm helping another individual that's looking into doing some uh, bee breeding and some management. And he's looking for more of a bee that produces more propolis because hmm. he's uh, big into propolis and tinctures. Yes. He's looking yeah. into doing a tincture medicine with propolis and hmm. getting back to the old school ways. I guess he's got some great clientele and some uh, chiropractors and stuff that are looking for some medicated rubs and tinctures to use as propolis. So, yeah. Well, and I, yep, I know he's got some new bees from uh, down south, and uh, I hope they're really working out for him. And um, we're excited to see him this fall when we get up there, right? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, he, he showed me he's got small scale bees. Yep, he and does. he's looking to try to do what I'm talking about. Is, yep. uh, it's called increased essentials, Captain Lumber's watch. I want you to look up increased essentials on Amazon for hive and splits. Uh, you're going to get a great information on that. So it's called Increased Essentials. And I might uh, I might have it here on Amazon, actually. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> increased essentials right there first thing. All you do is type increased essentials. Awesome. And it'll, it'll come up with a couple different things. One of them is beekeeping. Uh, just click on it. You'll go. It's a great book on how to populate and maintain beehives. There's a couple people doing it. Uh, actually, there's a couple guys on Jack Spearco's show. And one guy that's uh, after I went to Perma Ethos, mm-hmm. West Virginia, uh, he's another guy I met there that he's doing this increased essential by using only nookbot population and not uh, worried about honey producing or nothing, just strictly making bees for sale. And they're selling nooks at 200 bucks a pop. Oof. So that's a good business. Yeah. So yeah, real nice. Increased essentials. Cool. Well, we already answered Dustin's question. Uh, again, he's one of the the, the Ohio uh, GSD crew. He was asking about the red honeycomb. We talked about that already. Um, and then I had a couple questions I threw on at the end here. Uh, you, we talked a little bit about uh, bees needing water. Um, I know you put together a little um, a tutorial for having a watering system for bees. Um any other suggestions? I mean, just like a bird bath with stones in it, or are there some yeah, that are better uh, than others? Yeah, bees need water. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to go find it, and anything the anything that's between the fifteen feet and the fifty yard is their favorite foraging for water. From fifteen feet, if there's nothing at fifteen feet, it goes all the way to fifty until they find it. Yeah, oh. right. That's why people like it around. You know, I'm about. Uh, 50 yards away from a local creek bed or the stream or the pond, because if that's the closest thing in 15 feet, you're good. But if you're downtown, you know, where I'm at in Cheyenne or when I was down in Arizona, you know, I'm talking mega pools. Yeah. Everybody there, you know, multi-million dollar homes with pools. And if you have bees there, the closest pool is what they're hitting, right? That's within 15 feet. Gotcha. Not within the, the beehive, but 15 feet away from the beehive, if there's water there. They're going to go there. Gotcha. I mean, that's it's the first available source for water. You need water just as much as they do. Mm-hmm. You, you can't go without three days without water. Two days, you start getting violent headaches. So yeah. same thing with bees. So water is important. Uh, the video I showed was taking a noodle and sticking a sprinkler in it. And then the, the little stripper sprinkler kept the noodle moist. And the bees could land all over the noodle. Bees kind of like dirty water. The pool that I happened to be hanging out in was a saltwater swimming pool. So it was all natural, no chlorine. So the bees were really digging it because they really like saltwater. Huh. Uh, they like dirty mineral water. They like the dog dish. They sure. like the bird pooped bird bath. <laughs> they like the mud puddles, right? They like landing in the wheel barrel that had the dirt and the sprinkler blowing on it for the last four days. Right. Now it's some stinky sledge thing that's got all the bees in it. Huh. Uh, they like the bottom of the flower pots where you have to water. Yes. They go in the little holes. With, so they go in as so they like kind of dirty water that has all the minerals and stuff in it. So hmm. you place those things out where the bees can get it. Uh, the one, the video I showed, you can uh, take a five gallon bucket. And this is the one that we highly recommend as a waterer is you put a solar fountain pump in the bottom of a five gallon bucket and you make it so when it sprays, It'll spray up out of the bucket, of course, but it needs to be the top of the sprayer needs to be about five inches below the top of the bucket. Sure. That way you can fill the bucket three quarters of the way full and it's still the sprayer still above the bucket, spray it into the air. Then you take screen door screen and put it over the bucket with a rubber band. Sure. Sure. And then you put rocks, lava rocks 
uh, wood chips and uh, marbles on it, and then it'll sink a little bit below the level of the rim of the five-gallon bucket. So when you plug, when, so when you turn it on, it's solar, so it's always going to run. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is you have to go out and check it about every three days to make sure it's got water and so your pump don't burn up. Sure. So now you've got a waterer, and what happens is now it's spraying up and it's hitting the bottom of the lava rocks on the, on the screen, mm-hmm. and the lava rocks will absorb the water, and the screen will have water on it. So the bees will fly over and they'll land, and then they can walk down the screen to where all the water's floating, and they can drink, and then they can walk right out and leave. That's cool. And it's one of the better watering systems. It's mobile. It can go anywhere. We're big on remote and mobile. So that way you can move it to wherever you need. If you see bees at an area, move it to that, get the bees going to it, and then every day move it, move it, move it. Now they're not in that area, and they're just following where you're moving the bucket to every day because they're getting used to it. Sure. So sure. we're big on mobile. Yeah. Another yeah. good watering system is what we call the gravity bin. And what you do is you just take a, a rope and you take a good three-quarter inch good hemp rope and you put a five-gallon bucket and you hang it in the air and you silicon the rope so the water just doesn't run out. And the rope hangs down. So it's like a wick. Oh, yeah. The water just kind of wicks on this big, thick rope hanging down and the bees will land all over the rope. And then that way they can drink on it and come out of it and stuff. But this is not for, like, don't use that in Arizona. You'll have to fill the bucket twice a day. Yeah. This is more like for a shaded area. If you're, like, in a a wooded area, your backyard, somewhere, right, where, you know, you're looking for a water source. Uh, Other good things are bird baths. Fill your bird bath up with marbles and corks from your wine. Oh. Right? And then put a a screen over, like, half-inch by half-inch wire mesh. Then the, the corks don't blow away if the wind comes. It's enough where the bees can climb all over everything and get in there, the water. But remember, when you put screen over it, the birds can't get to it. But right. bees and birds kind of work good together. Uh, I have never had any problems with my turkeys eating bees, chickens eating bees. I've never had any problems getting my birds eating the bees. That's good to know. Uh, but when it comes to water, Anything that's by water, if the bees are going to the water, make it so the bees go to the water. You don't want your dog drinking in there and getting his mouth stung. Yep. You don't want your birds going in there and something stinging them. You don't want problems in the future of a fight with the bees and something else trying to get to water. Give a designated to your bees for water. Put it in a place 15 feet away from the eyes. Make it so it's bee-friendly. Mm-hmm. That way you don't have any other pests or anything going for it and you're feeding your bees. That's good stuff. I, I had a uh, wicking bed on my... Uh driveway last year and it had some open water in it. I noticed the bees were coming in and there was just a little bit of water in there, just so enough to water naturally water the plants. And boy, those bees loved it. And uh, that's something that, uh, you know, I want to breed, I want to encourage that, not breed mosquitoes in Minnesota, which is a really bad thing, but <laughs> but it worked out really nice. And, and I had some really great peppers and cucumbers last year, just fantastic. I think they were hitting those and then getting a drink and then heading back to their hive, wherever it was. So yeah, see the wicking beds are good for that. One thing about water, if you're worried about, uh, what we're talking about mosquitoes, mm-hmm. uh, you put your screen on top for the bees to land on. And in the middle of the bucket, put screen. Yeah. What happens is when mosquito lay larva, they lay it. So it kind of wants to float to the side of the bucket. So as the water goes down, the larva gets on the screen if the water's below the screen, all the larvae die. Yeah, that's good. They're not in water. And then when the water's filled back up, it, all the larvae floats around, decaying, making minerals, 
for the bees to drink. Oh, that's so you keep the water fluctuating in and out, catching the larva, drying them out and killing it, flooding the larva, letting them lay larva, drying the larva, flooding them out. And you can do that. And I mean, uh, that's what the water conservation board is going to be doing for your local ponds. That's why your ponds fluctuate in some of your areas ah. is that they flood the areas that kills all the larvae because they were on the bankments. Now the bankments are flooded sure. and then the water drops and then all the larvae that was up in those areas is now dried out and dead. Huh. Those are more natural ways for your mosquito control. That's very cool. All right, last question, and we'll get you get you heading home to the, for the night. Um, some, yeah, some of the audience won't become beekeepers yet; they're concerned about the bees and have gardens that need pollination. What are some tips for attracting bees to your yard and gardens? Any good plant okay. suggestions? So we're going to do three levels of getting the bees to your garden, or you want to help the bees. First level is, of course. We are not using anything, fertilizers, pesticides. We're using as many natural methods as we can to control the bees uh, so they do not become a nuisance. Mm -hmm. So we're not spraying and killing them, and we're going to promote them so that way if they do come, it's positive. So that's the first thing. So the first thing to make that happen is, remember we talked about you can add water. Yes, Water is going to bring the bees to your location. And once the bees get the location, they get to see more. Mm -hmm. If they see more, they get to do the wiggle dance, bringing more bees to pollinate. <laughs> so put water in your area. We told you different types of watering. Um, hummingbird feeders. Oh, yeah. If you don't have hummingbirds, at least you're going to feed the bees. So put those in your garden. That will attract some bees in the area. If the bees can see the garden, they'll go back. you get more bees. So food and water is a good way. And then put those food and water areas where they can be positive. Put them in locations where like, uh, you, you have, a, you know, you can do home fortification. So I put the water on the backside of the fence where I really don't see, oh, and I can't no. see too much, but if somebody would have jumped the fence, they're going to jump into where my bees are feeding on that hummingbird feeder and that water. And they're going to be walking right back where those bees are. And if they knock it over, it's going to be very interesting. <laughs> right, so you can do a home fortification thing with it. Yeah. Or yeah. you can put those things to, I have a lot of bees in my swimming pool and I'm starting to adjust them and move them away from that location. Like I, I told you before with the watering. You know? Yes. So use them in a positive aspect, move the bees to locations. So they're not a hindrance to anybody. Use them to keep people out of certain areas and use it to attract bees to areas where it's beneficial for your garden but not in human pathways yeah so that's the first thing right positive aspect feed the bees second thing is we want to plant things that attract bees that smell good bees are girls <laughs> girls like pretty things that smell good right so anything that's uh that we call royal royal uh -huh. is anything that people like people love royalty princesses everything royal color is purple mm. your lavenders Gotcha. Your Russian sage, your star thistles, uh, your bee bombs, your uh, mace mints, oh, yeah. your uh, oreganos, your some of your purple clovers, red clovers. Uh, everybody's like, yeah, man, you're talking about stuff. I've always seen bees on those. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Purple yeah. smell good, right? Bee bombs, lemongrass oils. Stuff like that. And, you know, you can put little things of lemongrass oil on Q-tips every once in a while or take bamboo reeds 
and okay. you dip them in lemongrass oil and the bamboo reeds absorb it, making a good fragrance. Fragrance draws bees to smell what that is. Bees work on sight and smell, right? They smell fear like dogs do or like sharks smell blood. So pheromones, so you plant bee balm, you plant some good Russian sage. You want to throw uh, sunflowers up. Mm. Uh, sunflowers, each individual seed from a sunflower is a flower. So wow. if you grow a dandelion, you might get one or two flowers on a dandelion. A sunflower has 485,000 <laughs> seeds on it. Those are that's how many. So you can have multiple bees on one sunflower, where you might have one bee on a dandelion. Wow. So you want uh, uh, you want multiple flower and single source flowers. And what I mean, single source is like um, uh, morning glories are a vining plant. Oh, yeah. One plant has a multitude of flowers. That's what you're looking for. You're not looking for something that makes a flower. You're looking for multitude because on a plant, some petals do not get pollinated and some do. And it's because this flower says I'm ready mm -hmm. for pollination. This flower says I'm not ready. So you might see a flower on the same plant and this flower is hit nine times with seven different bees. I see. And this one hasn't been hit by none of them it's because it's not ready for pollination. So if you're growing one flower and it's not ready to pollinate, you're screwed. But if you grow a plant that has a multitude of floral, there's multitude for the opportunities for the bees to pollinate. So, you know, like sunflowers are great. Morning glories are great. Pumpkins and squashes are great. Oh, yeah. Big oh, yeah. flowers. Bees love them. Uh, chicory. Chicory is a phenomenal bee plant. They love the purple flowers on chicory. They'll come in by the groves, and they come in the groves and stuff like buckwheat and clover. Hmm. So anything that has multitude of flowers that the bees can come into in purple, like we say royal, bees love. So now we've got some... Some stuff. We're not going to use pesticides or fertilizers. We're going to be using natural organic compost. We're going to be using some worm tea. We're going to be using some Dominicus earth, right? We're changing our venue to be more friendly. Right. We're going to be putting out feeding units that are friendly, keeping bees away from people, up in the air, away from traffic, and getting them to where they can visit garden locations with water and food. Cool. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to plant more vegetation. That's visually nice and pleasant, as well as smells good. Bringing in uh, other things to attract, and that's going to help you out quite a bit. Yeah, totally. If you're planting yeah. stuff like this that's going to get the bees going in there and you have beehives, then you're going to be able to do one of the many things to collect honey from these great plants you get. And then you're going to sit down and you're going to make a gallon of mead. Mm -hmm. That way you can sit down and watch these bees calm and secure enjoying a product that they make. <laughs> that was great i learned so much from michael just a discussion about watering bees and attracting bees to my garden was worth it um I'm, i know i'm going to implement some of these strategies in the in the square foot garden for the end of the season i know i just had a lot of bee activity last year in the wicking beds and my cucumbers and peppers were the best i've ever had so i want to get that going here in this garden in Minneapolis. So thank you, Michael Jordan, for being on the show. Those were great. Really a lot of great information. I, I know our followers and listeners are really going to get a lot out of that, and I really do appreciate it. I hope you're recovering from surgery. I hope you're doing well. Take it easy, my friend. We got to see you in Hogtoberfest in just a couple months.
I'd also like to thank my friend Austin Quinn at Vlog Vibes for closing for the closing song tonight. If you're starting a podcast or a vlog, check out Austin's work on YouTube. I'll have a link in the show notes and smallscalelife.com for this post. So let's talk about what's coming up next here on Small Scale Life. Um, I am planning on releasing the final portions of my interview with Michael Jordan. We're going to be focusing on building a business in beekeeping. And what I appreciate about that conversation is that some of those lessons can be used in building other businesses not related to beekeeping. Uh, In addition, I was just creating some bonus audio that I'm planning to release and I think you'll really find it interesting, especially if you like to make um, if you like to make wine or mead. So stay tuned. We got some really good stuff coming. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I do have some content about rain gutter grow systems and wicking beds coming. I know some of the folks at Small Scale Life Facebook group are getting getting very anxious about it. Um, they've been pushing hard to see some content on it, and I need to deliver on that. I apologize. I'm running late. It's coming. Uh, we had some family issues that popped up this week that bogged us down, and I am getting to it. I am excited, however. Some materials... Um, came and uh, they're waiting for me at Menards. So I am going to do a step-by-step build project and show you how I'm going to be building uh, a test wicking bed, a new design that I haven't tried yet. So I'm going to test it out here and I will have that. So um, keep our family in your thoughts and prayers. Be patient. We're going to get some stuff up to you very soon. We're going to have a new uh, model to test and I've got some other ideas. So just we're going to get there. We're almost there. So uh, also we're going to have some future guests here on the Small Scale Life. Um, that includes my friend Jay Doan, uh, Donnell Freeman from out in Colorado, who's got some big wicking beds. I hear he's got like a massive garden that's uh, real, really doing well. And he's got some bees and some other things. So we're going to see where that conversation takes us. And we've got some more guests coming in the future. So thanks again for listening to Small Scale Life. Please subscribe to us on YouTube and also on iTunes. You know, feel free to interact with us. On iTunes, you can leave a rating and a review. I would really love to get six more reviews this week. So somebody go in and uh, just give a few stars, write a couple words of encouragement. And, um, you know, if you're listening on YouTube, feel free to ask questions or leave us, uh, leave us some comments. Love to get the comments. I love the banter. It's great. Keep it coming. While you're there, of course, subscribe. Please become a subscriber of our iTunes page and our YouTube page. That way you'll you'll uh, know when new content's coming out. Um, you know, in YouTube, you do have to hit the little bell there to be notified that we have new content. It's kind of strange how they do that, but uh, do that. So uh, thanks again for tuning in the show. We really do appreciate it. I'll be back soon to finish our conversation with Michael Jordan, and we'll start talking about waking beds. So it's coming. Just be a little patient with me. Again, this is Tom from Small Scale Life. Continue to learn, do, and grow, and we'll see you next time.